0: Well, I am very, very excited for this episode. Um, I think that people are going to learn a lot. They're going to heal and, you know, be able to have different tips and everything in order to, you know, there's a lot of children out here. I mean, a lot of parents out here with children with substance abuse uh, issues, and some of them don't quite know what to do. They may have their hands tied. Um, They may be told that they're not addicted, you know, or talk themselves out of knowing if they're addicted. Um, So I have a few things written down that I wanted to ask you. Okay. Um, The first question is advice to a parent who suspects that their child is using drugs. Um, And I saw on your profile about the six C's, um, for the parents of children with a substance abuse issue. Mm-hmm. So I would love to talk about that. And then the secret to recovery, if we can touch base on that as well. Okay. Is that okay?
1: Yeah. All yeah. right. Um, so just uh I'll give you a really brief background, a really brief um, idea of, uh, of what my background is and, and then uh, just a short uh version of the story
0: mm-hmm.
1: um of, of my son Chase that brought me into the line of work that I'm in now. Um <clears throat> I grew up in rural South Carolina, and um I uh, say so I'm a country boy at heart. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh um my father was a Southern Baptist preacher, my mother was the uh was the high school secretary where I uh, went to high school and um uh i just had a really good childhood great parents uh, my my only sibling is my older brother 18 years older and uh, so mm-hmm. when i was just uh, four years old he was flying helicopters in vietnam and wow. i always looked up to him and um you know he was um he had a job uh uh, uh instructing and running a um helicopter flight school when uh when I was a teenager and he would sometimes he would land the helicopter in our yard oh <laughs> and, cool and come in and visit with us you know because we we lived out in the country we had plenty of space and um that just really got me interested in flying and so I started off early I, I decided when I was about 14 I said I want to fly I want to fly so um he helped me set up a uh and a uh, plan for, uh, becoming a pilot. And so I graduated early from high school. I was 16 when I graduated, started taking flying lessons right away and, uh, didn't go to college. And just, um, by the time I was 19, I had a job, uh, in aviation as a co-pilot, um, on airplanes and helicopters. And, uh, that's kind of how I got my start with flying. But, mm-hmm. um, it was in, um, uh, uh, you know, I, I got married to my wife, Kim. Uh, we met in, in the Greenville Spartanburg area of South Carolina and, and, um, got married in 1990 and moved here to North Carolina right outside of Raleigh. And, um, and we raised, uh, two boys, Justin and Chase, seven years apart and Chase, um, Middle of his junior year, started having some issues. We ended up uh, transferring him to a, when I say he started having some issues, grades were dropping. You know, I saw some warning signs and uh, we ended up transferring him to a um, military school. Um, He had some ADD, mostly focus issues, not a lot of real bad behavioral issues or anything like that. But I felt like, you know, coming from the military background, I felt like the, structured environment, the discipline and all in a military school would be good for him. And it was. And um, he improved his grades. Um, he, uh, He played football and he played football there and ended up having a really good senior year of football at that school. And so there were a few college scouts that showed some interest in him, and um, one school offered him some scholarship money. Uh, he wasn't big enough to play on the Division One level, but there were some Division Two type schools that were looking at him. And so one school offered him some scholarship money to come play there, and uh, he took them up on that offer. But unfortunately, it wasn't long after he arrived at school that he began to hang out with people who were – Abusing drugs and alcohol, and pretty soon he was abusing drugs and alcohol. And he dropped out in the second semester of his freshman year. Came back home immediately, gravitated to a really rough crowd here at home. Um, and um, eventually, uh, we ended up having a um, an intervention for him because he was losing weight rapidly, looking really really pale. Um, he wasn't very big to begin with, but now he's real thin. Um, and Uh, so we had an intervention for him and through the, through the intervention, we were able to get him into treatment and, um, he spent 30 days in treatment. Then he left, uh, treatment and, uh, went into a halfway house, bounced around to several different halfway houses, spent a total of about nine months in Florida, uh, where he was in treatment and then, um, came back home, was doing a lot better, staying away from the people who'd been a bad influence before. Um, he was, um, he was going to IOP, like intensive outpatient care, like group therapy two nights a week. Um, and he, uh, he got a job. So he was moving in a good direction, mm-hmm. uh, but then uh, he began to relapse. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably about another eight to nine months after he gotten home, that he began to relapse in, uh, um, um, he told me that he told me he was headed in a bad direction again and he was hanging around a rough crowd. He needed to get away from these people. He knew they were a bad influence on him. Told me when he was planning to leave. And, um, uh, anyway, the day that he, he was supposed to come by and have a meal with us before leaving for Florida. And the, the time and the day and time he was supposed to show up, he didn't show up. And, um, then I had a phone call from a friend, and uh, I'm standing out in my front lawn talking on the phone with my friend. Uh, when uh, a police cruiser pulled up to the curb in front of our house, and the officer got out and started up my driveway, and so I went to meet him there. Uh, hung up on the conversation with my friend, told him I uh, had to go, and that's where the officer told me there in my driveway that um, that there had been a bad wreck and that Chase mm-hmm. had died at the scene. And, um, now that was a rough thing to hear as a parent, you know, and yeah. of course, um, you know, I, I went inside the officer accompanied me and, and I broke the news to my wife and our other son who was in the eighth grade at the time. And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, we cried for a long time and, and then we began to get some more information about what had happened. And, mm-hmm. uh, apparently there'd been a big going away party the night before a lot of drugs and alcohol consumed there. And, Uh, Chase and some of his friends woke up late the next morning. They were feeling hungover and they decided to go to a park near home and smoke some marijuana to help them cope with their nausea. And then he allowed this um, girl that was uh, 18 girl. He had dated for a little while, but they had had a bad breakup. So we were kind of surprised they were together, but he let her um, drive his car. He got in the front passenger seat. Another uh, young man got in the back seat. Uh, They left um, the park and just went a short distance, um, grabbed a quick bite to eat and then right out into rush hour traffic on I-40. And they only went a couple of miles before she lost control of his car in a curb, uh, running about 70 miles per hour and, um, uh, left the road and struck a tree and, uh, he died at the scene. Mm-hmm. um, It took firefighters and emergency personnel almost an hour to get the three of them out of the vehicle. And then they they transported the two survivors to the hospital with uh, serious injuries. And um, they recovered over the next several weeks and returned home, you know, to continue their recovery there. But then um, seven months later, um, and just a few weeks prior to what would have been her first court appearance, the girl that had been driving um, died after a fire broke out in her apartment. And, um, the fire chief said, based on their investigation, they believe that she poured gasoline all over the floor of her apartment and stood in the middle of it and ignited it. Yeah. She died from her burns in the hospital, um, the next day. Um, and, um, uh, there were two suicide notes that were found. So, um, anyway, um, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a tough story. And, um, and I, and I, I, you know, traveled all around since you know the the book came out in 2015 and then uh starting in about 2016 i began speaking and i've been all up and down the pretty much the east coast uh I've been as far north as as uh vermont and as far south as south florida and a lot of states in between and i don't think i've been west of the mississippi <laughs> i mean uh speaking engagements but uh but i've done a good bit of speaking uh schools and churches and for other organizations uh um um you know telling the story and, and, you know delivering a message with the story um a message of, i call it a message of love and and a message of hope you know because right. i i love i love chase and um um i want to give people hope there is hope uh that they can you know, Most people are struggling with something, particularly right now, as Mm -hmm. crazy as as things have been the past few years. And um, I want people to get that message of hope that whatever they're going through, that they can get through it. And um, so that's wrapped in, always wrapped into my message.
0: You know, that's a very, very powerful, powerful story. Actually, um, I listened to an interview that you did once before, and that's when I heard about it. And I normally don't listen to stories before I do an interview. I like to get it fresh with the audience. But I was grateful that I heard that one in advance because mm-hmm. that's very, very hard. That's, a, um, you know, it's, it's one that you have to sit with for a moment. And yeah. because, you know, you not only lost your son, but the The parent of the driver, you know, yeah. her parents lost someone and I'm sure that that was guilt that she was feeling. Um, I would
1: assume so. Yeah.
0: You know, and I also, um you had a conversation about whether you were angry. Oh but yeah. I thought yeah. your answer was so fantastic. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um yeah, you know, um, people go through different stages of grief, and n- no two people have the same grief journey. I've learned mm-hmm. this, and and um, for me, one of the stages was anger. Not everyone goes through that, um, and uh, early on, I wasn't angry at all, and but probably two or three weeks into it maybe a month into it. I, I don't, I can't really recall exactly right now, but at some point I started just getting very angry. Um, and most of my anger was directed at the driver. Not that I was, you know, letting her know that I was angry. We, we did have a, a an exchange one time on, mm-hmm. on Facebook mm-hmm. and, um uh, and I, I regret that, you know, but, um, it, you know, most of it was just inter- an internal struggle for me, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I knew that the court case was coming up and mm-hmm. I knew that the law, the law was not going to hold her accountable. I knew she would walk away with uh, virtually no uh, penalty under the law for what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and I won't get too much into this part of it, this aspect of it, but, um in her particular case, the way things transpired, it was going to be very difficult to prove impairment. Okay. So um, uh, she would have walked away with, with very little um, uh, punishment or the law. Now, you know, now I can sit back objectively and, and look at it in hindsight and go, well, you know what? Chase was the oldest out of the three there, and it was his car. Mm-hmm. And he knew she was number one. He knew she didn't even have a driver's license, mm-hmm. even though she had been driving. And, and yeah. I, I have no doubt that she was probably not a bad driver. She may mm-hmm. have made some mistakes that day, but and certainly I believe the impairment um, uh, had a, had a, had something to do with that. But um, anyway, um, you know, yeah, my anger, you know, as, as a dad at that particular time, when I was angry, that anger had to be, uh, channeled towards, towards someone. someone.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. And
1: she, she was the most logical person, you know I mean? I couldn't be angry at chase really. I was, you know, I, I was angry at myself. I was angry at chase. I was kind of, I never was angry with God. I can tell you that That's
0: awesome. <laughs> because
1: I, I knew that, that, um, my relationship with God was always solid the whole time. And, uh, you know, I was having some hard conversations with him at night, (laughs) 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 like, why, why did you let this happen? Right. Yeah. But, um, but I was never angry with him and, and, um, uh, I think it was your faith that really got you through, you know, it really was, it really was. And, um, Man, I mean, there are so many things, you know, we can all, we can all go back and look at things in hindsight and go, man, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. Yeah. There's a lot of things I wish I had done different, mm-hmm. but I can't change it now. It is what it is. And I have to move forward with my life. And, um, um, certainly there are things I would have done differently. Um, and I wish I had, you know, gotten some, a little bit better control of that anger earlier Um, But, uh, but yeah, looking back on it, I can say now, what's that?
0: No, I was just going to say, but, you know, even in the circumstance, you have Mm -hmm. truly, truly turned all of that hardship into something very beautiful. You know, you do a lot of good work with families when it comes to children and, you know, their abuse when it comes to drugs. And, you know, I know that you serve on the board. Um, In North Carolina for Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. So, Uh you know, you've written the books, uh, you do speaking engagements. So, for something to be so heart wrenching, you have turned it and you are really out here helping so many people. And that, you know, I honor you for that, for sure.
1: Well, thank you. Um, You know, um, I'm just a vessel. God is, as use me in that respect. And um, I find that my best speeches and my best work are when I get myself out of the way and and let him do the talking and let Mm -hmm. him do the, you know, uh, guide me in the right direction. And uh,
0: uh,
1: I'm human, so I don't always, you know, do that. I don't always, sometimes I get myself in the, in the way, you know, but, um, um, certainly, um, it's been healing for me and, and in just interacting with other people <laughs> when I, when I go out there and talk, um, um, I, because I hear so many stories, so many people come up to me and, and, well, you know, uh, start telling me their story. Uh, this happened to me and my child's got this problem or my dad or my mom or, you know, my sister or my brother. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, you know, there's so many people uh, struggling with addiction yes. out there and uh, so many families that are hurting. Um, and, um man, if I can just say one little thing that brightens somebody's mm-hmm. day up or gives them a little, mm-hmm. little bit of hope or gives them an idea, then, I mean, that's, that's great.
0: That's beautiful. I love that. I feel the same way. You know, it's why I tell my story about, you know, my parents and, their addictions. And, you know, of course it goes a little bit farther than that in my family, but I think that, you know, when you're, when you're vulnerable and transparent about difficult things that have happened in your life, you know, you'll realize you're not the only one. And if you've gotten to the point where you can talk about it and you're healing, you can get other people there too. So that is such a wonderful thing. So I know there's a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm
1: sorry. I didn't mean mean to interrupt no, you. I was just going to say that there's that's that's there's a nugget of wisdom right there in what you just said. There there's there's something valuable there. Um, that there's a lot of uh, shame and guilt associated with with addiction. and yes. Um. The thing is that there is power in in coming out, being willing to. Overcome that shame and overcome yes. the guilt, and just step out and talk about it. it. That's empowering. It's empowering for the person who's struggling with the addiction. It's, it's empowering for the family members to be able to talk about it. And so many people just want to sweep it under the rug. And, and but man, if you can ever get to that point where you just you can just take that leap of faith and, yes. and talk about it, um, that's it, it, it's it's very powerful.
0: Absolutely. That that is, you know, that's what I tell people. Um, there's sometimes there's power in pain. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if you can if you can name a thing, you can heal a thing, and there's power with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so absolutely. That's why I love this podcast because There's so, and and others, I'm not saying just this one, but others as well. But um, there's, you know, for people to be willing to be vulnerable and come and tell the things that, you know, for some people, it's the hardest thing that they've gone through in their lives, Mm -hmm. but for them to be on the podcast, it shows you that they're getting through it. They're living through it, you know, and if every day you can just keep living, you know, things will get better. You know, you can keep healing. You can, uh, you know, help other people. It's just, it's in the living. Uh, so, were there signs that you uh, saw with Chase? And you talked a little bit about him losing weight, but if there's a parent out there that they're not really sure if their child is on drugs, what is it that they should look for?
1: Well, you know, this changes a little bit when once they turn 18 um, and, you know, if, if you're talking about a teenager, um, I mean, the, the symptoms are the same, but the, but the way you handle it is a little bit different. In right. other words, if you have a teenager, um, uh, you know, particularly, or a, uh, a young adult who is still living in your home and, um, you know, they're not paying rent, uh, you're feeding them all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you're, You really um, you have a you have the opportunity there to I believe it's fine to go into their room to see you know are they hiding something in their room Mm -hmm. but but it doesn't need to be spying in other words um, that's a it's better if you have this conversation before they become a teenager and you set up the ground rules then because then you can say look you know my job as a parent is to help you transition into adulthood and becoming an, an independent adult. And as part of that, part of my job as a parent is to protect you from things until you can reach that point. Mm-hmm. That means I need to be able to have the, the freedom to come into your room at any time. And, and if I suspect something's not right and and look, look around, you know? Um, so, I mean, if if you think, if something seems off and you see grades suddenly plummeting, uh, you notice that you see your child's eyes are bloodshot. And if they begin to, you see personality changes where uh, if they were outgoing before and now they're withdrawn or mm-hmm. they're hanging around with a different crowd of people or they're, they're good friends that they've been friends with, all of a sudden they're not friends with them anymore. They're being secretive or there, uh, you've caught them in a lie or two. Those are all big, big, big tips and they can be very, very good at hiding, uh, you know, the smells and, and, uh, and concealing their, their drugs and everything and all kinds of little tricks out there. There is a guy by the way, his name, uh, he goes by tall cop. And if you just Google "tall cop says stop," his name is Jermaine Galloway. He's six foot nine. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so, he's uh, 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 he played some basketball. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, but Jermaine uh, gives a great presentation on how you know he he stays up to date with the latest trends, and he can tell you what to look for in terms of uh drug paraphernalia hiding spots all that kind of thing nice um, so um yeah i really i i, I, I pump his uh <laughs> i pump him every time i get the chance you know his his uh information he's uh he's got some good stuff so
0: nice. um, that's a
1: good good thing for parents to look into but
0: okay but don't
1: be afraid to to you know Set up those ground rules in advance. Same with uh, with electronic devices, phones, thing like that. Things like that. If you're giving them the phone, I don't. I don't believe that it's okay for you to, without their consent, just go start looking at the information on their phone. But unless you have the conversation up front, if you have the conversation up front, and you can even have a a um, a contract drawn out. Like yes. you can drop your own contract that says these are the terms of use. I'm paying for this phone. And if you want to use this phone, that means I get to check your messages anytime I want to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, same with social media, you know? So, um, set up those I, I used that. to,
0: um, when my son was a teen, I had a contract with him. Um, but of uh-huh. course for me, I was very codependent in that time. So, Not only having the contract, but following through with the rules of that contract is huge. (laughs) You know, it is huge. Yeah. I remember it it must have been about a year ago. I found the contract and I was like, this was a great contract. If I had only, (laughs) you know, followed through. With the different things that was in the contract. So parents out there, if you are, you know, one that you stick to your guns, I say, go for it. I think that's wonderful. But if you're one where you kind of give a little bit of leeway, if you put boundaries out there for your children, you have to go through with whatever the consequences are simply because an empty, um an empty boundary you might as well just, it's might as well not be there. (laughs) So definitely the contract, but, you know, follow through on your contract.
1: That's a really good point. And, um, I would just say, you know, what you brought up about the consequences there is to have those consequences, like really think through the consequences. Don't be so, um, harsh in advance mm-hmm. that, you know, you can't follow through really right. think through what would be reasonable consequences for the, mm-hmm. this action. And, um, you know, that way, when, when the con- when it comes up, um, you know, you do you, the empty threats are what really trip up parents, because if you yes. make an empty threat, that's like, it's over the top and mm-hmm. then they break the rule then you go to enforce the consequence and you go, man, I can't do this. Or, or you back off of the consequence early, then it sends a mixed message to them right. and they're going to test you. And the next, now they've seen, Oh, I can get away with this. Uh, the consequences right. didn't really happen. So then it happens again. Um. So yeah, that, that's a really good point.
0: I agree. That's good stuff. I like that. So um, for, and, Adult child, how do you think a parent should handle if they feel as though this uh, this child is on drugs as well? A little bit
1: different, um, and it depends on you know, are they living at home? Or are they are they not living at home? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're still living at home. Um, You know, once you've discovered they're using drugs, you know, you can, you you start off with having the conversation, you know, and and trying to get to the truth. And then when it's it's really obvious that, you know, that they are using drugs and that, you know, they're headed in the wrong direction, then, you know, you can start off with um, saying, okay, um, how about if we get some, uh, get you some therapy. And here's the thing that I think is important here. Um, I think it's important for parents to either, everybody goes to therapy together, like family therapy, or the parents get their own therapy or own coach while the child gets their therapy. But you need to set an example for them. And it it is like, uh, addiction is a family problem. And I think too many parents uh, just want to ship their child off somewhere, whether it's to therapy or treatment or whatever. And it's like fix my child and send them back fixed, and it just doesn't work that way. You know, right. the, the parents have to really be involved in the process because uh, they're going to have to learn how to think differently, how to communicate differently, um, and, and they're going to have to figure out that they're probably, you know, I, I think the the initial. That reaction from most parents is, well, I'm not the one with the addiction problem. It's my child. Why do I need therapy or why do I need counseling or coaching? Um, but, uh, you know, if, if you don't understand the, as a parent, if you don't understand the, the, if you don't understand addiction and you don't understand how you might trigger your, your child, then, you know, they can go to treatment or go to therapy or whatever. And then, and they're right back into the home And uh, you're, you haven't changed. And so you're, you may be contributing to the problem without even realizing it. So that, that piece of it is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it, it, it comes down to a point where sometimes, um, and then you really need some counseling on this or coaching, on this as a parent that that you have to make the decision to um, give them the ultimatum and the ultimatum is you know you you have to we're we're offering you treatment and we will pay for it or you can move out it's Mm -hmm. up to you Um, and those are the two options and that's another time when you have to be you can't back down you cannot mm-hmm. back down you have to be prepared for them to come back with with something right. uh sometimes sometimes they will use threats um mm-hmm. or guilt for example yeah they will guilt there're a lot of different ways they will manipulate and you have to be prepared for that in in advance um you know uh uh uh, a girl may say something like, um, well, you know, you know what I have to do to support myself if, if right. you put me out on the street um, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, uh, they may threaten suicide or right. any number of other things. So you have to be prepared. You have to think through those things in advance um, and be ready to to toe the line when when you issue that ultimatum. Um you can hire a professional interventionist to come in and, and help with that. Um they're usually very good at what they do. And um, but again, parents need to understand that that treatment alone is not a cure. Um, it's a good place to start. Right. Um and and while their child is in treatment, if they go to treatment, um that's the best time for the family to begin getting educated and learning how to communicate better and learning how to set healthy boundaries. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a team sport, you know, if you will.
0: Right. Absolutely. You know, I, um, I have a friend who, uh, she and her husband, where her husband, uh, went to rehab and she was talking to me and telling me that, you know, she didn't get a lot of information After she dropped him off, like they didn't really give her anything. She went back three weeks later for um, a therapy session. But, you know, I feel like you're right. They need the information on what to do while that person is in rehab, while they're being, you know, uh, rehabilitated. You know, the family needs to know what to do, what to expect, you know, how to have all the tools that they need when the person comes home, when their loved one comes home, you know? So I totally agree. I think that's great.
1: Yeah. I do think that there are more and more um, treatment centers that are offering, they're realizing now that that has been a weakness for a while. And there, there are more places that are offering uh, that type of training for families.
0: I love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad because, you know, I grew up in, Alteen, al uh, all of that. Uh, so so um, I am definitely one. I feel as though the, the, uh, the family member, they need as much counseling and tools as the person that uh, is addicted, for sure.
1: Definitely. So, um, so
0: yeah. I would love to, because I, I know you have this book about Chase. If you could talk to the audience about it, because I think that this is a a fantastic a fantastic thing that you've done. You know, you've taken that pain and you've poured it into this beautiful book. So, can you tell them um, the the name of it and also what it's about and where they can get it?
1: Okay, um, it is a life half lived, a true story of love, addiction, tragedy, and hope. And uh, they can go to. Daryl dot com, that's D-A-R-R-Y-L, R O D G E R S. dot and um, they will see it there on the home page, and then they can they can um put in their name and email address and they'll get a free digital copy of it. Um or they can just go to Amazon. Those those are two different ways they can can get it. Um in Let's see. What did you want? What else did you want me to cover? What was the this?
0: What's the book about?
1: So the book is is a memoir. It's it's about Chase, my oldest son's uh, life. You know, he he died in a wreck, drug impaired wreck in in 2014, after um, struggling with addiction for about a year and a half. Um, so not a very long time, and things things spiraled out of control quickly. And, um, it's really about, it It was very, it's very raw because when I wrote it, I was still pretty angry, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, I was going through a stage of anger and, uh, it, it is written, uh, you know, I, I go back and I read it now and I didn't really understand addiction when I wrote that book. Hmm. and and I can read excerpts from it now and I go, wow, I cringe a little bit because I think why did I why was I thinking that or why did I say this or why did I say that but for whatever reason uh it seems to resonate with a lot of people um particularly people who are uh, in recovery mm-hmm. and uh, uh I've had people reach out to me from all over the place who have read that book uh
0: That's awesome
1: uh, I I had uh, a lady wrote me a letter from jail from prison mm.
0: um
1: she was she was involved in a uh she was driving drunk and um uh someone died as a result of her actions and uh so I've written her back and forth a few times and um some very uh really nice family from Scotland reached out to me they lost a son in an overdose, uh, to an overdose, and he was uh, 31, I believe, when he passed mm-hmm. away. And she read my book, and they ended up coming here and staying with us for three oh, days.
0: Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> awesome!
1: Yeah, we want to go visit them sometime, but yeah, just a, a great couple, and um, I've gotten to know their other son too a little bit, and uh, just I, I just love it, family.
0: And you have so, another like. son, right?
1: Yes, we have a, a younger son who is now he's twenty-two, just a recent college graduate. Both of my boys were Eagle Scouts, by the way. And
0: okay.
1: um he um he is a he is a chemistry, he was a chemistry major, also played uh football, and um he is he's been accepted into five different chemistry PhD programs in waiting to see if some others will accept him. And um, he hasn't decided where he's going to school yet for his, for, uh, you know, his doctorate. But um, uh, anyway, he plans to start this fall.
0: Yeah. That's so good. So I I just love that with the family, you, uh, they lost a son, you lost a son, and you both actually still have, you know, sons as well. So that's um, something else that you have in common and, That's wonderful. I love, uh, I can't wait to get my copy of the book because, like you said, I think it's awesome that you wrote the book when you were raw,
1: because Mm -hmm. that's
0: where most people are. Right. That's right. That's that's why, you know, people can really resonate with it because they're at that point when they're reading it. So that is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to let the audience know you do have two more books. You have a book written for teens. Uh, is it secret super The Secret Superpowers of Teenagers? Yes. And then, the, mm-hmm, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: Uh, the Secret Superpowers of Teenagers, How to Shape Your Future and Transform the
0: World. Perfect. And then you have a spiritual book. Will you tell them the name of that one?
1: That one is called Taking the Fight to the Enemy, How to Transform Your Life. Uh, I'm trying to remember the subtitle now.
0: It's okay. It- they can look it up on, on uh, Amazon. They'll be able to find it. It's all good. So, Taking the Fight to the Enemy, and we all know what yep. that is. So, that's uh, that's wonderful. So, I think it's awesome. We just want to let the people know that you have three books that they can find on Amazon. And the book about Chase can also be found at dot Yes. And they can I,
1: they can download it for free there
0: ah oh, fantastic so Daryl I want to thank you so much for being on the codependent me podcast this has been so wonderful um I also real quick I just thought about it I want people to know uh if they want to have you as a coach because you are a family recovery coach correct yes. So can they can I get in touch with you on the darrellrogers.com?
1: Uh, the best way, I have another website. Okay. And it is it is the family recoverycoach.com. The as in T H E, the thefamilyrecoverycoach.com. And uh, they can go there. Um, and I have a, a a free download. this a PDF download um, for parents. Uh, it is called the, um, it's called three things parents should know.com. Three things three parents things. should know.com.
0: Is that T H R E E or
1: the number three? The number three. Um,
0: Okay. All right, I'm writing that down. I'll put it in the show notes. All right. All right. So, before we uh before we let before we let you go, Daryl, I would love for you to tell the audience just one final thing that will blow their minds. <laughs> <laughs> Something that will blow their mind. Yes. Uh, you've already blown their minds truly <laughs> with everything that you talked about, but I know you've got some really good tips that can help someone out here that's struggling with children, trying to figure out what to do. Okay.
1: Um, so let me think here for a second. Let me just say this. Um, here's what probably, here here's probably the biggest thing that I see happen with parents as particularly early on in in the journey with a with a child who has a drug or alcohol addiction they get hung up in the decision making process and uh, I've been studying on that a little bit and, and figuring out ways to help people through that because what happens is They get scared that if they make a decision to do something, such as telling them, telling their child they need to leave, or giving them the ultimatum to either leave or go to treatment, or having an intervention or something along those lines, they get so scared that, you know, their child may. Some you know do something terrible, then they may end up dying from an overdose or from a wreck or suicide or any number of things that they don't make a decision. And guess what? Uh, There are risks with every decision we make, but there's also risks that come with not making a decision because not making a decision is also to make a decision. And, um, here's what I found out. And this is just a a story to take you back really quickly, um, to my flying career. When I was in my twenties, I was, I was working on upgrading to captain with this commuter airline. And I would, I would go to the flight simulator. It was a full motion simulator. You're inside this box and it's moving around and, uh, you have, it's like, you know, computer screens around you that it it looks like scenery, like you're flying, like you're really flying. And there's an instructor who sits in the back behind you and you have a co-pilot next to you. And Mm -hmm. that instructor sitting behind you would, would give me, um, he would give me emergency situations. And like he might make something go wrong with the electrical system or something go wrong with the fuel pump or, um, you know, the landing gear won't come down or the engine catches on fire or whatever. Mm-hmm. And as the captain in that situation, as captain in training in that situation, I had to make a decision. And before I could make the decision, I had to analyze the situation really quickly because you mm-hmm. don't have a lot of time yeah, as a no pilot. In <laughs> you have to be decisive. Mm-hmm. And um, I would sometimes... I would second guess myself. And what I found out was that I had enough experience. I had enough training, but I didn't have the confidence. And, Mm -hmm. and when I second guess myself, guess what? Most of the time I ended up delaying too long or making a, not, not the best decision. When I went with my first hunch, now this here's what I want to get across here to parents: you don't go with your hunches, okay? But <laughs> my hunches were based on years of experience and training, so uh, and training in that particular aircraft. And um, so, if if you've if you've gathered all the information that you need as much as you can, you're not going to be able to get it all. But mm-hmm. you go out and you gather as much information as you reasonably can from as as many good sources as you can um, in a relatively short period of time. You can't sit around on this and wait and wait and wait. Go ahead and and come to a conclusion with some help, with some counseling mm-hmm. and and make a decision on what it is that you need to do and don't look back.
0: Right.
1: And I can't promise you that everything's going to turn out great. I just can't promise you that because that your child, your son or daughter has a mind of their own. And uh,
0: God gave us free will. That's what I tell the kids all the time. God gave us free will.
1: But you're certainly, you know, you're, 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 you're putting the, by making this, deci- this decision, being decisive, you you have a much better probability of of having a good outcome. You're mm-hmm. you're giving them, you're putting them in a situation where they have uh, the ch- choices to to make a better to 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 uh, create a better outcome. Right.
0: Um,
1: um, versus, you know, um, sometimes you know you think the parents think, well, if I don't do anything, everything will be okay. Or we'll just continue along. We'll, we'll figure this out at some point, but you know, no situations where parents have a 45 year old or, you know, whatever, you know, still dependent on them.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And, um, or the child ends up overdosing in the, in the parents' home, you know, so not making a decision does not guarantee you a good outcome. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's right and I love that you said to not make a decision is making a decision. It truly It is. really
1: is. Yeah.
0: So I love that <laughs> and I think that is perfect <laughs> to leave the audience with. That is so good. This has been such a pleasure. I thank you very very much for being on the show and sharing your story and you know giving the world uh you know giving them the good, you know giving them the lemonade that uh, came from your limits. That's wonderful. So I thank you.
1: Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure to be on on your podcast.
0: Absolutely not a problem. And hopefully maybe later on this year, you can come back. <laughs> that would be great. I'd love it. Fantastic. Well, I just want to tell the audience... I know you can choose any podcast that you'd like. So I thank you for choosing the Codependent Me podcast. And I want to remind you that you you matter (laughs) and your story matters. And until next time, have a wonderful day. Bye. I understand that nothing is more valuable than your time. So thank you for listening. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Codependent Me, and check out my website at codependentme.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day.